Hello everyone and welcome to Clarity, a podcast series designed to create a safe space for conversations and reflections. I'm your host Janvi Gurja, a curious people observer, an executive coach and co-founder of Vital Signs Advisory. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with a very special guest. She was Karnataka's first woman director general and inspector general of police. In addition to numerous accolades and achievements, she has received medals of honor for her meritorious service from both the honorable president and prime minister of India during her tenure as an IPS officer. She is from the batch of 1983 Karnataka cadre and she has served as an IPS officer across multiple roles spanning over 37 impactful years. Post her retirement in January 2020, she was appointed by the government of Karnataka as member of the Real Estate Regulatory Authority, popularly known as RERA, and she is currently serving the state in this role. This incredible woman is none other than Neelamani Raju. Welcome to Clarity Ma'am and thank you for joining me on this exploratory journey as I learn about your unique pathway towards a meaningful life. Thank you so much Janvi thanks for having me here and giving me an opportunity to talk to you. Well ma'am I have been very inspired by your humility and courage ever since I had the good fortune of meeting you on that flight from Hyderabad to Bangalore. You know listeners uh, it was an absolutely surreal moment for me. We were co-passengers on that flight and in spite of being the most powerful officer in the state ma'am you were simple humble and downright affable listeners she displayed no starry tantrums or any intimidating power distance in fact she said hello to me and then we chatted about the world the conversation was so easy there were no pretensions and before we realized there was a beautiful bond of friendship i was a stranger and she was genuinely kind and polite to me ma'am Ever since that day my admiration and respect for you has only amplified. This for you my listeners is a walking talking living example of a humble leader. Welcome once again ma'am. Thank you Janve. Ma'am I have a few questions and these questions are not about the demographic information which is already available in copious amounts on both social media and in you know official press releases there's a lot about you and if anyone wants to find out about your career so far they'll always get that information but for the benefit of our listeners and for the benefit of this particular podcast i would like to ask you a few questions which are more related to how do you do what you do and my first question to you is in jan 2020 when you had to stop wearing the khaki uniform and you got into another equally important role but wasn't with a uniform what was your experience and how did you adapt uh january i retired in uh, january 20 but the job came about uh, one and a half years later so i think that was enough time for me to reflect about what i want to do further and uh, honestly it was not very clear so basically i spent time on my hobbies of gardening this that looking at my own uh, household things but then this rare thing happened and uh, 
seriously, I would say that I am really happy that I got an, another opportunity to serve the people of the state. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, home is such a special thing for everybody. And for the middle class people who put their lives uh, earnings in buying a small flat or a bigger flat or whatever. And at the same time, they have uh, their kids to look after their family. They are paying EMI for the loan and all. And there you have that, you know, uh, in the middle of everything, you know, either the construction is stopped or the builder ran away. And I mean, any number of problems. I won't say that the builders don't have any problem. They also suffered a lot during the pandemic and their estimates went every. But at the end of the day, builder always is more powerful, has more resources, whereas a common man is all by himself to do whatever, and the pandemic affected him too. So this was the time when I really joined RERA and as a member, and luckily the chairman also is a police officer. Both of us saw how things were in such a disarray, Mm -hmm. and we have to do a lot to put things in order. There was a lot of Complaints not being heard and the lawyers doing their own thing and the legal system, you know, is all time taking. So we said, we two of us decided that, you know, no, like in the police, we want justice to be done quickly and it has to be seen that it's being done. So we took that approach and I'm happy to say that we have been able to do a lot in during last two years. Now it's this June, it's two years when I joined RERA. And we have been able to do a lot for the people who are suffering. And uh, and and that too, when RERA is a new law, actually, it was uh, enacted in 2017. Mm-hmm. So it's a rather new thing. So many practices has to be have to be established. There are so many anomalies which have to be set right. There are a lot of new Supreme Court case judgments which are coming, which are helping the setting up the precedents and... Uh, help us to look into the case laws. So it's a lot of legal paradigm out there and we have to learn a lot of law because we have to really talk to the lawyers and give our judgments and all that. So it's a, another thing, another challenge for us to, you know, to get into the intricacies of law and within the ambit of law, what best can be done because the legal process can be very time consuming at times. But we have adopted a summary kind of an approach where, you know, uh, at least in six months' time, you know, people see that something is happening and that's something important that, uh, you know, uh, at least the people see that uh, we are there to help them. So that has been uh, our my experience in RERA and uh, that's how I want to carry it forward for other one and a half years that I have in my hand. And maybe, you know, uh, people are much more aware uh, now with our efforts that... Uh, once they buy a house, what all they should look into before they put in their life saving into that and uh, not get so, cheated. So at this point, um, you feel very responsible to ensure there's justice for the people through RERA. Yeah, exactly. And that's really, really very neglected sector it used to be. And I think a couple of years down the line and a couple of Supreme Court judgments that we are waiting things will be much more streamlined. Even now, the builders are much more responsible. They have to go through the law, do a lot of registration, so we can see that everything is all right. But in older cases, you know, there are a lot of uh, things have gone wrong, uh, which is taking time to set right. But I am sure things will be good. As, as the day progresses. As the day progresses, and legal systems get established properly. 
Ma'am, that brings me to my next question. Uh, are there days when you wish you had your uniform? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, <laughs> you know, uniform is a certain kind of thing. You say, okay, here and now, and you do it. And um, in law, it doesn't happen, you know. You have to go through so many procedures. So sometimes we wish, okay, why this man's money is not coming back to him? I mean, you are doing injustice. You have taken everything. You are not giving him the house. Okay, if I, I was in the uniform, I'll see to it that you give it now. So, you know, but... <laughs> how do you, how do you uh, cope with that little sense of powerlessness that you experience, I'm sure, just for a brief moment? No, it's not a powerlessness, Janve. It's a different kind of a power. I don't say that law doesn't have power. Law has a lot of power, but it takes time. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's not right to think that police also has the power to do instant justice. That is also a wrong concept. And if somebody wants to do it, uh, then uh, a lot of problems happen. Police also has to act per law. But, uh, yeah, but uh, real estate, you know, it's a time-consuming process, you know, building a house and delivering it. And once you start living, then also there are a lot of problems. So it is over a period of time, you know. So it's a different kind of approach that is required. Whereas the policing is here and now some case happened and then you have to deal with it immediately. That kind of immediacy is not there in uh, RERA. In RERA. Yeah. So what did you change in terms of your own personality traits? Okay, so when you were in the police force, there was the here and now and immediacy. And in RERA, there's a lot more deliberation and contemplation before you act. What personality trait did you have to change to fit into this role? Patience and tolerance, I would say. Lot of patience is required. You have to hear the both sides, go through a lot of documents. Mm -hmm. And uh, tolerance of different viewpoints because... Uh, uh, the people who have done wrong and uh, uh, still they will justify themselves and you know that is how legal system is everybody has a right to defend themselves so you have to tolerate the two opinions and you know keep very cool and very neutral and mm -hmm. very uh, just to both the sides uh, because in the policing you see immediately see who is on the wrong but uh, here is not there are a lot of gray areas in, in RERA, there are a lot of gray areas, and you need to, you know, appreciate that. And it must be very tough, right, at some point over there, um, because sometimes in the in the natural instinct of your, um, you know, practice, uh, you're bound to hold on to your previous habit. And when you mention patience and tolerance, it would be something that you have to consciously tell yourself, okay, this is going to be a challenging situation, and I just need to be a little more patient. So, ma'am, what is that cue within yourself that tells you that I'm going to lose it now, so I'm going to have to step back before I flip my lid on this? Ah, you can't be more right, Jay. I really <laughs> learned it the hard way. Uh, <laughs> because, um, yeah, because, you know, the guy sitting on the other side, uh, you know, he is not an ordinary criminal. He is representing his client. So you have to talk to him differently. Initially, you know, the reactions used to be different and it was not appreciated. Let me be frank, you know, once or twice, both me and my chairman, we got into trouble with uh, the, the lawyer saying, no, no, 
you know, this is not it is and you have to be patient and listen to us. And yeah, I think initial six months were a little tough, but then we learned. I think now it's good. Yeah. That's good. So I'm just going to go a little back into your day one as, you know, uh, the Director General and Inspector General of the Police Force in Karnataka. You were there. It was day one. And I'm sure a lot of people had a lot of expectations because there was no predecessor. There were no benchmarks. And I'm sure there were a lot of other contenders and aspirants for that role. But here you were, all set to take charge. What were some of the dominant thoughts in your mind at that point? And what were some of the assumptions that you wanted to test? Uh, seriously, telling you, Janvi, on the day one, I felt as if some thousand trains are passing through over my head and everything was like uh, drowned in the noise. Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of anything, you know, because it is such a big thing to happen and that one never really expected. And uh, for others also, like, who were thinking they will get it and they didn't get it. And, you know, that kind of a atmosphere was a little charged one way or the other. So I couldn't really think of anything. And uh, one has to just go through the motion of taking charge and then handling minute by minute all the, the ceremonies that go with it. The first one mm -hmm. or two days, you have to do a lot of calling on and all that. And then you realize that, yeah, this is the responsibility yeah, for me. The, within two days, there was a big uh, uh, challenge, a law and order challenge was mm -hmm. there. So immediately one has to get into it. Mm -hmm. So you really have to think very fast. Yeah, you know, thinking as they say, even as you are uh, walking on your shoes, you have to mm -hmm. think what mm -hmm. next and all that. And for me, it was also a little more challenging because for last 23 years, I was in intelligence bureau. I was doing a desk right. job. right. And uh, I had done this active policing only for 10 years before mm -hmm. I was picked up for the intelligence bureau. Mm -hmm. But it was not that I was not aware of the challenges because I was aware of what all is happening in the country. We were dealing it on the theoretical part, but mm -hmm. we knew everything that was happening. Not only the theory, the problems behind it, but all the incidents that were happening all over the country. And we were analyzing and recommending action to the government. So I would say from the intellectual understanding of the role, I came to the actual uh, execution of the role. Right. So to that extent, you know, I had a lot of cerebral input mm -hmm. into any action that I did. So I think that was a very big strength for me. The, the know-how. The know-how and what the situation is, what the reaction would be, how it has happened in the mm -hmm. past. Because 23 years in IB was a great, uh, it, as if, you know, you are doing a thesis on the various problems of the country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when you have to come and deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe my old 10 year of experience immediately came handy. And there are a lot of good officers around me, good officers. They all came together and, uh, and we and did it. You know, it's not the only thing that I did. They were all there. They, I got very good cooperation from all of them. And somehow, because I came with a clean slate, uh, you know, I didn't have any baggage with me because mm -hmm. I was away for a very long time. Yeah. So I was just a fresh face. Uh, people didn't know me much. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't know them much. So, you know, everybody started with a clean slate and we bonded very well. I would say I was extremely happy. Mm -hmm. Everybody mm -hmm. gave me a lot of cooperation, the officers, the 
the other bureaucrats, the government, the other politicians, the people mm-hmm. in general. I think I was really lucky that I got a tremendous response. That naturally could be attributed to the humble person that you are. And like I said, my experience with you for the first time was how humble and how absolutely down to earth you were. And I'm sure that extended back to your office as well. And so it was no surprise that the others also felt equally genuine towards you. So, ma'am, that's really well uh, and richly deserved credit for you, ma'am. It's, yeah, uh, probably, Janvay, you could uh, say that because uh, in the Intelligence Bureau, we are a common man. Nobody knows who we are. We lead mm-hmm. a common man's life. Mm-hmm. We don't have any, uh, the, the, this thing of power or anything. We are not supposed to be powerful. Not mm-hmm. We are just like totally in the background. So that, or probably I am like that, and then 23 years of being in that atmosphere really changed me completely. So when I came back, I was the same person and mm-hmm. uh, probably it really helped me to relate with my co-workers and I got the best from them. So again, a little back in time, during your entire journey that you've explained from being for 10 years in the active field and then coming into the IB and then coming back as the chief of police, there would have been times when you've had second thoughts, or perhaps when you were not so sure. But everyone expects you to have the right answers and the right direction. So it can be a very, very demanding position when you're out there and you're supposed to give direction, and everybody knows that that direction has to be right. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of speed thinking, and possibly self-doubt. In those moments of vulnerability, ma'am, how would you process, you know, information, emotion, so that you, you know, give direction or you tell people what to do at that point, which is beneficial to everybody? Uh, it's a, a difficult thing to say, Janvi, but uh, I really don't know as if, you know, sometimes it happens that uh, these things come naturally to you. Uh, I'm known for my short temper, but uh, for small things, I'll lose my temper. But when the big crisis and the big uh, issues are there to deal with, I never lose temp- tension. I, mean, I never lose temper. I become very quiet. Mm-hmm. I became very calm, and I become I am a pillar of support to my officers. Mm-hmm. I tell them what is the right thing to do, and I am ready to face the consequences. Because as a leader, I say, you go out and do I am telling you to do. If something goes wrong, I'll take responsibility. That kind of was uh, because, you know, we have higher-ups, and when we were pulled up, I say, look, it's my decision. I am responsible for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But uh, to be very calm and quiet and uh, unwavering in doing the right thing, was probably was the way I dealt with the situations. And uh, I think, I think, I maybe by the grace of God, you know, I never went wrong. So in those times uh, when yeah. you said to be calm and to step back and to think, okay, um, you're consciously doing that. Is there any personal practice that you follow that enables you to regain your calmness in crisis? No personal practice. I just want that things should be good. Things should be right. And the the confidence that government has put in me by making me the police chief. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I should not, uh, you know, belie their trust. Mm-hmm. I should do the best for the state and uh, uh, I shouldn't go wrong. So I really don't know. Uh, it could be just a, a good fortune. But of course, a lot of things, many times things went wrong in the sense that the tolerance level of the government sometimes is uh, not there for that moment because obviously nobody wants something to go wrong. Mm-hmm. But even if things are going wrong, you can only control it only up to a certain point. Beyond that, there are so many invariables that uh, there are so many variable things that you cannot really control. But then how do you project it? You know, Seki, you did your best, but this happened. And then how we are going forward to set things right? So I don't know what is my personal practices, but basically I'm a perfectionist in my real life. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. want things to be perfect, even if like putting my uh, shoes there in perfect order, putting my books, Mm -hmm. not a speck of dust anywhere. I don't want too many things around. I don't want to keep any work pending. You will not see any file pending on my table. Mm -hmm. I want it quick. I want it perfect. That's how I am. (laughs) So... Probably, you know, and uh, I'm I'm generally a very, a uh, lot of adrenaline in me, you know, when the challenges, I'll not, till everything is sorted out, you know, I'm always on, you know, I'm always on a high till everything is sorted out. So I think right from my childhood, because during my academic uh, years also, I always have to top in my class right mm-hmm. from LKG till I finished my, this thing, something within me that, you know, I have to be the best. So it just keeps driving you from yeah, time to time. Yeah, it really keeps driving me. And then for some reason, at some junction, if you have been either rejected or if what you want to do doesn't turn out the way, you know, uh, you want it, how have you handled it? Well, um, if I can tell you that... Uh, uh, it didn't happen the way I wanted it because I wrote my UPSC hoping I'll make it into IS. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I got IPS in my first attempt. I tried again. Again, I got IPS. Third time I tried again, it happened IPS because mm-hmm. those days we used to get only three chances. Then I thought maybe that's how I'm supposed to be. So then whatever I've got it and I have to make the best out of it. So it was not as if, you know, I didn't have disappointments in life. But then, you know, after that, once the road is closed, you have to, you know, you can't move horizontally, you have to go only vertical. So mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. job I got, you have to do the best of it. And, so that's, uh, that's how you are able to talk to yourself and motivate yourself. Yeah, exactly. Ma'am, do you have any, say, role models, okay, or any people that you're very inspired about and uh, you draw positive energy from their life? If any, who are they? I think my mother. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I don't really have any role models, but uh, the way, uh, honestly, I don't have any role models. I never really got into anybody's biography and all. Of course, I see successful people all around, mm-hmm. but I didn't... Uh, 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 deliberately, you know, in the sense that, okay, she is my role model or some other, he is my role model and all. I don't know. I never thought on those lines. But about your mother, what about your mother 
um, inspires you? My mother, uh, born in 32, mm -hmm. and uh, very intelligent person, and she did uh, her 10th class. In those days, girls, even doing 10th class was not really common. She wanted to study further, but then, you know, the marriage happened, and she she had to become a homemaker, but... She was so, I mean, she is so bright, so, so intelligent. She herself is a perfectionist. She pushed me and my sister and brother to do best in life, to study with, uh, you know, total concentration, you know. She only suggested that I should write UPSC. And uh, her tenacity in life in front of, uh, the way she faced adversities mm -hmm. in her life, and she never gave up till today. She is now 92. Yeah. And I still feel, you know, she copes up with uh, so many tragedies happened, you know, in such a long life, family, mm -hmm. friends, this, that, children, probably sometimes things don't go right. But she is always there for us and she has a lot of uh, fortitude uh, and telling us to do the right thing and never be dishonest, uh, dishonesty of purpose or material dishonesty or of any kind. Mm -hmm. I think all the good habits that were uh, inculcated in me by her, that is what has really stood me in life. And, uh, yeah, and role model, I, as such, you know, the famous people and all, I don't have any. That's, that's nice to hear that you draw inspiration from home, from your mother. And um, I'm sure she's an incredibly special lady and I'd love to meet her sometime. Ma'am, which now brings me to a very interesting um, junction. Uh, here, um, over the years, okay, in all of my years of um, research, action research on uh, people and the generations of people, what we notice sometimes is that um, waiting, waiting through the various phases of life can be very challenging. And sometimes it nudges us to give up and move to something greener. You have been an accomplished leader, and today you have embarked upon an another very challenging role at the RERA, right? You've had many firsts, and in each of these opportunities, you have created extremely high impact. Please tell our listeners, you know, how does one cope with the transitions of life without feeling the strong urge to give up or to try something else? See, Janve, there are two things that uh, to have a goal in life is very important. And uh, I think everything begins with your uh, education or even if education to a certain level and uh, uh, somebody can have a long academic life, somebody can have a short academic life and branch out in their, uh, anything else that uh, you want to do because these days a lot of startups are being done by college dropouts and mm -hmm. things like that. Important thing is that you have a goal. You really want to do something with your life and uh, give your 100% to it, you know. Try your best. Pay total attention. Don't be dissuaded by what other people are saying. And uh, get all the help and advice which is available. And uh, instead of wasting time on useless pursuits, probably these days I would say that social media is taking a lot of time of children and young adults. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty, I would say, is a negative impact most of the time. So if you are studying for something, you know, maybe 
for example, my you are wanting to do UPSC. Mm-hmm. Uh, give your hundred percent. You just think of that, and all your actions should be oriented towards that. I don't say that you don't have off time, maybe one hour, two hour, or you don't sleep, or mm-hmm. you go crazy. But if you have a goal and you have proper methods to achieve it, mm-hmm. then I am sure that you will achieve it. But at the same time, Janvi is important to have a plan B ready. Okay. Okay. Did you have a plan B? I didn't have a plan B because, as I said, I got very lucky in a few things in life because mm-hmm. I got it in my first attempt. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was straight out of college, and I those days there were no coaching institute, nothing. Whatever I uh, studied for my university exam, I just wrote UPSC like that. So mm-hmm. maybe times were different, or I got lucky. But uh, as I told you, I was always a topper, university topper. So maybe it was not really tough for me, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh those people who may not be academically very bright but today they have lot of help available they can do it and lot of kids are doing it but it, it's not a question of giving up too early in life you try and then if you feel either your interest has gone down or probably you genuinely feel that is just not working out plan b is very important because if you get thoroughly disappointed that okay this was my goal i couldn't achieve it so what now should i jump from the fourth floor mm-hmm. no you should also have a plan b ready and don't think that achieving goal number 1 of plan a is the everything on earth or that you are a failure and the life is over for you or what will parents think or what will other colleagues who have made it it should not really judge about your life you know your career or anything else maybe a person you want to marry or if you are a failure romantically or whatever plan b in life is very important because things always don't happen the way you want it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you may work you know very hard but you may not get it so it's okay you you move on in life you see what else is possible and uh, look into the problems which happened with you that why you couldn't make it maybe mm-hmm. there are certain problems that uh, were surmountable then you do it you can you can overcome that mm-hmm. but if certain things you think you know is just not achievable or i've lost interest not worth wasting more years on mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. okay do something else which makes you happy and make a success out of it because the goal is to reach there there are many ways of going it mm-hmm. i mean these days you know lot of kids are doing a lot of different things are achieving lot of success they are doing into fine arts they are doing into media there are so many more opportunities available to kids these days a government service or getting into civil service and or a particular thing is not the only thing you know kids are getting famous by being television personalities right. you yeah. have journalism mm-hmm. i think you can go abroad do something else and uh, even things smaller things you know like uh, uh, i mean uh, so many things you know or you just open a huge uh, nice shop or you mm-hmm. go into fashion or you go into modeling whatever you can do you know so it's okay and there there is no stereotype i would mm-hmm. say rather to put it briefly the today's world doesn't have stereotypes that you need to stick to success mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. have any stereotype That's you really can succeed into every any field that you think you can success does not have a stereotype is yeah. an extremely um i think it's an extremely powerful statement what you've just made right now and i think it honestly when i'm hearing you say it 
it's um, it sounds very liberating because um, in my years um, as an executive coach and my experience of interacting with a lot of people, I think a lot of people get uh, boxed into what are the parameters of success, a lot of traditional, conventional parameters of success. And if they don't fit into it, it's almost like they're harshly judged to be exiled out of, uh, you know, out of what is called as accomplished people or successful people. And then that automatically leads to a sense of disappointment and disillusionment. And hearing you say that success does not have a stereotype is actually a very liberating feeling. Thank you for that. It, it really uh, is an eye-opener for me right now. Yes, Janvi, because uh, having seen life in last 37 years in the policing, you see the worst of things. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and even today, when you're seeing in media what is happening to the younger generation, the pressure to succeed is so much. And uh, uh, there is so much of material world out there which you want. You want a... Uh, beautiful car, you want a high-end watch, you want all this fashionable clothes and you need to have a girlfriend, you need to have a boyfriend. And in the process, you know, people are going all over the place and ruining their lives. So that's something really, you know, the young people have to see what's happening. And I would say the role of the family is very important. Mm -hmm. How the children are being raised. Why are you telling your kid that he has to get the top in the class every time? Why is, where is, uh, if he gets 95 marks, if you ask him, where did five marks go? Is it the way to raise your child? I think, you know, if young people are getting disappointed in life, a lot of uh, uh, blame goes to the parents who are kind of putting their own uh, hopes and aspirations on their children and pushing them beyond their capability. Every child has a certain kind of capability in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. Some kid is good in math, some good is in a biology, somebody doesn't like anything at all, he wants to be a painter, somebody wants to become a model. But no, we want him to be an engineer, doctor, IS. That's mm -hmm. how the parents who come from an older generation and they, their parameters for success were different. They are planting it on their children and that's how a lot of children are getting disoriented and you see how many... Suicide rates are going up. You know, the younger kids are uh, are getting into drugs and this and that. I think we should, uh, before the kids get into all this, the parents should learn, you know, how to really deal with the capabilities and talents of their own child. Recognize it and, and, and even the schools also, you know. Every child has some quality in him or her and let every flower bloom in its own way. And I, then I only. couldn't agree any less with you on this. Yeah. In fact, as you were talking, I was reminded of a recent article that I read uh, published by the World Health Organization saying at any given point in time, there are approximately 40,000 people who don't really want to die but are on the verge of committing suicide. Yeah. And, and it is a very, very dark fact, which means that... Um, not even in a subconscious way. I think in a very perpetuating way, um, many of us as parents have actually somewhere driven our children towards these pressurizing lives or driven a lot of young people towards these pressurizing lives. So it takes me to a, a question, ma'am. My experience of you as a leader has always been that you're very grounded and very humble, right? But many times, um, leaders 
leaders feel the need to mask a lot of their struggles and only showcase that everything's all right and I've got it in control. What would your advice to leaders of today be in any sector? How can they be vulnerable? See, um, if you have uh, one luck people behind you who are looking at you, mm -hmm. you have to be strong. Mm. You cannot show your vulnerability to them, mm. to the people who are following you. Mm. So you know you have vulnerabilities, but you have to mask it. I think it's very important, but masking in a very stupid way is not what I'm saying mm -hmm. because those vulnerabilities are real. You go, you show that you are strong, but do at your, your homework. You call people, talk to them, talk to your colleagues that, look, I am not sure about this. Let's discuss this. How do we cope it? Mm -hmm. Nobody is perfect. Like, we are not gods. Every leader has problems. So many decisions which have to be taken, which can go either way. Mm -hmm. So you have to talk to your, uh, you know, colleagues, your friends and uh, whosoever your mentors may be there and talk to them and find a solution. But at the same time, I would say the leaders ideally should not their vulnerability, especially at a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. If it is normal time, maybe a little vulnerability here and there. You know, after all, I'm a human being. If I'm always perfect, I'll look stupid because, you know, they will say, okay, I'm just putting on a show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can be vulnerable at times in a, some ordinary day-to-day -day, uh, in a meeting. If I don't know so I'll, uh, something, I'll say, yeah, sorry, I didn't know. Or you tell me. Anybody down the line, even we have so much to learn, even from a head constable who is in a police station, he knows more than me. I talk to them, I learn it. But when a crisis, they are looking up at you, you can't be vulnerable. You have to do your homework. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and at that point, it's okay to ask for help, right? Yes. Right. So that's, It that's... is okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say you should have asked for it a little earlier. Mm -hmm. Do your homework so okay. that you are not caught on the wrong foot at the right time. Right. So, ma'am, have you ever at, you know, at various points in your life, have you ever thought, um, okay, I have been a police officer and, um, you know, somehow it was something that came in to me. I attempted, I did the exams, I got through and this was my calling. But right through the 37 years, were you ever tempted to do or get into any other profession? No. I really loved it. Just... I loved my job mm -hmm. because uh, one thing is, as I told you, I want quick results. I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I want to do things for people. I think IPS gives the best opportunity for this. A person, you know, how immediately you can help him, how his life can change if the police is there or not there. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see those situations. It doesn't give uh, that kind of opportunity to any other service, IAS, IFS, or any other. Police is closest to people. And uh, uh, something it is in my nature to immediately help and uh, organize things, you know, do things in a quick way, in a perfect way. And I think uh, what God decided for me to be in police, I think it was best for me. It suited my temperament very well. 
uh, now when I look back, I think I may not have made that much of impact on uh, people's life in any other service. So I think it's the best thing that happened to me. That's yeah. wonderful. Wonderful to hear. So ma'am, some time ago you mentioned that you are short-tempered. You're a perfectionist and you would like things to be more or less predictable and as per the drawing board that you have visioned, right? So have you ever burnt any bridges because of your short temper? Plenty, but luckily my short temper is very short-lived. <laughs> so, and I, I, I don't think twice before saying sorry. So I haven't really burnt my bridges. So because... Yeah, people think that I'm, I mean, people have been hurt because of my short temper, but then mm -hmm. they always come back and say, no, ma'am, it was for the right reason, and then you don't have a personal agenda, so it's fine. And we have always been friends, even at people I shout. <laughs> even people I shout. That is good, because, yeah. because perhaps you've gone back and you've clarified and you've told yeah. them uh, what was the reason, yeah. right? So does the short temper continue even today in your role in Rera? No, it's actually... You know, when we are younger, you know, the uh, I was much more, you know, like bully in a china shop when you joined the service. <laughs> Over the years, you know, you mature and then you know the reality of life. And I'm, I'm, I think I have come a long way. I'm not as short-tempered as I used to be. Mm -hmm. I'm much more patient and uh, I understand what is possible and what's not possible. So over the years, I'm so much better. Mm -hmm. But a little element, a flicker always is there, you know. I guess I need to control that. But, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, not in a bad way, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, I don't harm anyone. But if I'm unable to put my point across and the other person is just not getting it, then maybe I'm a little harsh. But I think it's for the right reason, or maybe I give too much importance to things which don't really matter. Maybe if a cup is not kept here or is here, there is nothing much to worry about. I am learning it. You know, life is a learning process. I am getting better at it. <laughs> Did this happen after the retirement, or no? It was always like right from day one. Mm -hmm. You you recognize your short tempered, and at the same time, you yeah. you've been planning and practicing. Yeah, practicing that, you know. Like, suppose 100 times I want to say something, maybe I'm now, earlier I used to say it 50 times, now maybe I say it five times. So to that extent, I'm able to control it. You have always been a very influencing leader. There are two types, right? Either you can be very authoritative and have a huge power distance between you and your teams and the citizens, uh, but my experience and my research says very clearly that you are an extremely approachable leader. Ma'am, how did you consciously mold yourself to use influence much more than authority? Uh, see, authority is not a standalone thing. I mean, authority is there so that we perform our duties in a responsible way. Authority is not a tool in itself that I enjoy. It's not a, like a cup of coffee that I'm mm -hmm. drinking for my own benefit. Authority is there to implement the law, to mm -hmm. protect people's life, to do things what the police is supposed to be doing it. It's not something, you know, which I can carry it as a uh, uh, thing on my head. So... I really don't know. I mean, that kind of authority I never felt, you know. Uh, rather, I th thought, you know, it's a responsibility that I have to uh, 
uh, use to get the things done what I'm supposed to be doing it. And uh, I mean, I'm just like that only, you know, I mean, right from we have so many petitioners have to come, they have to talk to me, then only I can do something for their suffering. If I disconnect myself with from the people, how do mm -hmm. I know what is happening? You know, if I'm talking only to a selected few, I have a coterie and, you know, I don't see anything beyond them, then you are going to be a failure. You know, you have to go out, talk to people, go into the crowd when the law and order thing is there as a superintendent of police, not only as a DG. Mm -hmm. When I started my job as a, a assistant sub, uh, uh, superintendent of police in Chintamani subdivision in Kolar and mm -hmm. then... I was SP of Bangalore district. We used to go to the spot all the time, night rounds, night duty, mm -hmm. various mm -hmm. kind of bandobas. Seeing the person, last person on the ground, talk to them, talk to villagers, talk to village women, beat the drunkards on the road, you know, all kind of regular things. And that 10 year of experience was very defining kind mm -hmm. of a thing for me. That is how you connect with people, understand their problems. Then only you are able to you know, do something for them. Otherwise, your officers, they will do whatever they want to do and you will be taken for a ride because they say, oh, some woman has come, what does she know? Unless you go out in the wide world and see what is happening, they'll all make a fool of you and you will be a tool in their hands. And, so, and isn't there something, ma'am, which I think is uh, applicable not just for the police force but also for all professions? Absolutely. Uh, being connected to the ground, to the people and being relevant both are extremely, um, I think it's pervasive across uh, all professions. Exactly. It is their all profession because you should know the ground reality, whichever profession it mm -hmm. is. If, if, if he's a car maker and if he has been a car mechanic at some point of time, he'll know what is happening. If you are a fashion designer and you know how a particular shoe bites mm -hmm. or a dress doesn't look good, mm -hmm then you will be, you know, a better designer or a doctor mm -hmm. who probably has worked in... Why today they say the government hospital doctors are the best because they deal with the masses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have seen so many kind of cases, they get so good at it. Right, right. Yeah, so every profession, if you are an engineer, if you have not worked on the lathe mm -hmm. or on the shop uh, thing in the workshop, mm -hmm. what do you know? Absolutely. So I think, you know, you see the big, big industrialists, you know, their children who have really done well, they were put on the shop floor and made to work. Yes, yes. Then only they become successful industrialists, successful leaders. You know, the, that kind of knowledge is uh, very important. You can't really do without it. In the trenches, working yeah, hard, working exactly. with your hands, rolling your sleeves yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. It's quintessential to success. Exactly. Which then brings me, ma'am, to your... Um, absolutely uh, what I would call as an enviable hobby that you have. You have a green thumb. Okay, so listeners, the green thumb means that any plant she touches, it just blooms, it blossoms. So I want to know for the benefit of our listeners about your hobby for gardening, what does that do to you? <laughs> gardening, it is one thing is that... Um it feels good to be growing something and see it blooming. And, you know, that is also quite a quite a challenge. You know, my house, after retirement, I came to our own house in HSR layout, and it has two huge honge trees in front of the road, mm -hmm. and they are beautiful honge trees with lovely shade. Mm -hmm. 
बट बिकॉज ऑफ दैम नथिंग ग्रोज इन माई गार्डन बिकॉज वंस द रूट्स आर देयर एंड इट टेक्स अवे ऑल द सन फिल्टरिंग थ्रू एंड माई नेबर एज अ वेरी टॉल हाउस सो आई माई गार्डन इज सन चैलेंज सो आई ट्राइड मैनी प्लांट्स दे ब्लूम फॉर ए वाइल दैन दे स्लोली स्टार्ट डाइंग आउट दैन आई ट्राई समथिंग एल्स दैन दैन सम आर हार्डी सम स्टे सम डोंट स्टे दैन यू हैव टू चेंज लाइफ इज ऑल्सो लाइक दैट नो so the currently what is good uh, in my garden is anthuriums are uh, the best uh, people who are uh, making do with less sun mm-hmm. and uh, some other sundry things and uh, maybe bougainvillea from my neighbor's garden it is coming in and <laughs> and and uh, two mango trees i have in my backyard so they have started giving fruit this time and and you're fully involved in the garden in the plants and you take great pride in them don't you ma'am yeah it really looks i think it changes the contour of the house you know as you enter everything is green even if not many flowers are there but mm-hmm. the lovely leaves are there shade is there you know it changes the entire ambience so we are very What happy about it you? sorry what does this entire green and this yeah, ambiance do to you it's very it's very peaceful you know we have this nitya mangali uh, nitya malliga tree mm. on our front yard mm. so in the night after dinner we come out it's a little cool breeze blowing and that uh, gentle fragrance of nitya malliga it's so beautiful it's a very ethereal experience i I'm think sure. we can't do without plants and nature you know we are nothing without them absolutely which is what a lot of um, people as well as lot of you know groups companies organizations yeah. are working towards sustainability and you in your own way are contributing to sustainability ma'am which brings me possibly to almost our last question mm-hmm. um is that if there has been any learning which has stayed with you in life what is that and you know our audience for th- for the sake of our listeners i would like um you to share a few details about that learning i think at point this point of time the learning i have uh, i'm realizing is that uh, nothing really matters actually and that is what you know if a day didn't go well or you didn't make that amount of money or what the others are having all the jealousies and small tips and this and that at the end of the day nothing really matters because it is you how you have coped with your life whether you have been able to make people happy who were around you have you touched people's life with a gentle hand and made it much more livable i think that is the take take away for me in my 63 years of age and uh, i think uh, 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 whatever number of years i live further is that you know the people who are around me i should make their lives better and nothing else really matters that you know you got this job or you got this much of money in your bank or you have 10 apartments here or there or how much money is there in the bank because obviously i don't have so you know but still you know whatever this job has given me it's enough but then you know so many people are driven by those material success and uh, uh it's 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 a very frustrating experience so even if you you know try to compare yourself with that and it's totally frustrating so the over the years what we have learned you know in my family is that 
those things don't really matter. But the important thing is stay connected to yourself. Stay connected to the God whom you believe in and uh, do good whatever little you can do for people because there's so much suffering around. I mean, I'm not talking of the wide world, mm -hmm. but, you know, the people around you, your mates, your helpers, your immediate family, or just a person down the road, you know. Anybody, whosoever life you should touch, it should become slightly better than what it was before. Is I think uh, that is my life's learning and... Uh, uh, that's how I want to be. Well, listeners, this statement that uh, Neilmani Raju just said, whosever lives you touch, it should become slightly better for them, is going to stay with me. At this point, I am honestly speechless. I'm in a very reflective mood because having heard this remarkable person sharing some of her experiences, sharing some of her revelations about life, that nothing really matters as long as we are rooted, we're grounded, we're connected, and we can help make a difference to the people in and around us. So humble, and once again, so respectable, not because of the position, not because of you know, um, the power that you can wield, but more so because of you being such a realistic and such an authentic leader. To the benefit of all our listeners, you can always look her up. There's a lot of information on Neilmani Raju on the inter internet, but you can also, I'm sure, visit her at the Rera office because she, in my personal experience, is one of the most approachable people. She's always willing to help, always available for anybody who needs her support, her guidance. Right? On this note, I would like to acknowledge that transition is not easy in life. It is both complex and challenging. But that does not mean it's impossible. What it just means is that as long as you're at it, as long as you recognize days of good energy and bad energy, you can continue to succeed in your own path. Like Nilmani Raju just said, there is no stereotype for success. For me, this is a very liberating feeling because now it allows me to set my own standards as long as I'm not disabling anybody or hurting anybody. So on this note, I would like to say, ma'am, my absolutely, um, I won't even say, I'm, I'm at a loss of words, honestly. I am grateful, I am so very grateful that you had the faith in us, came over to our podcast and you know shared your deepest thoughts about life and about your work. Thank you so much, Anve, and uh, it's really nice knowing you, as I, you said, uh, I hardly ever make friends, I am not a very... Um, I'm an introvert, but one look at you and I talk to you and uh, you have been friend for such a long time and off and on we talk or send messages to each other, but you have really touched my heart and and I really thank you for giving me this opportunity to express my feelings and uh, I wish that uh, whatever I said will be of some use to people who hear our uh, conversation. And thanks for being there for me, Jay. 
Absolutely, ma'am. Any time, and it's an honor. We are humbled, and hope to see more of you, and hope to work more with you. So, listeners, if you like what you heard, don't forget to look us up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and also follow us on our LinkedIn and Instagram page, Vital Science Consults, and on Twitter at Janvi underscore Gurja eight. Additionally. Don't forget to look us up on www.vitalscienceconsults.com. Until next time, this is Janvi Gurja signing off. Thank you for listening and being in the moment with me. Take care of yourselves because you are precious. Thank you.